This is Linux Reality, Episode 27, Windows Applications on Linux. Well, hello everybody, this is your host, Chess Griffin, and welcome back to another episode of Linux Reality. And you may notice a slight change in the in the way I'm doing things this week, and it's actually because I'm, I am recording things a little bit differently. What I've done is I've actually upgraded my equipment a little bit. I got a little bit nicer microphone and got a uh, you know low budget mixer. And what this enables me to do is to more or less record the whole show on the fly. And I think it's going to be a big help to me in post production. That was always the biggest problem for me before was. I mean, the recording was fun, and I enjoyed doing that, but the post-production was a real chore because I would have to edit in all the bumpers and the music and all that kind of stuff manually. What this lets me do is I kind of, you know, I've got Audacity going, and I've got my sound card set up so it runs into the mixer and then back to the computer again, and I've got all my uh, bumpers and music lined up in a music player, and I can just, you know, record, talk, and I can just uh, play the bumpers and the music, uh, you know, in between the segments, so... We'll have to see how it goes. And so please let me know what you think, how the how the sound is and how the levels are. That's going to be the hardest part is, is dealing with the levels, but hopefully it'll, it'll work out okay. And, hey, you know, it's a learning process. So uh, just, you know, let me know what you think. Uh, let's see. Got a few uh, uh, housekeeping items actually to get to this week. Uh, first of all, the uh, archive CD that I had mentioned before, the Linux Reality Podcast Volume 1 CD is now available. It's uh, $15, and that includes shipping. And uh, I, what I plan to do is I'll send that out, uh, you know, just as soon as I uh, get an email. Well, well, basically what I'm doing is I'm asking people to email me first, and then I'll send them a PayPal invoice. And once that's paid, then I'll send out the CD just within a day or two. I'm going to try to get them out just as, just as soon as possible. But that is available, and a lot of people have asked me for that, and hopefully that will be that will be helpful. It's got all the arc, it's got all the episodes on there, both the MP3 and the AUGs as well as some additional resources that I found. One example that I wanted to mention, actually, uh, uh, this, this guy has put together a really nice PDF. It's something called the One, One Page Linux Manual. And it is, uh, it's, it's basically a PDF file, and it's available. I'll put the link to, the, to this website in the uh, show notes. And it's just a simple little PDF file, basically got a, a sort of a quick reference guide, a list of commands. And those are the types of resources that I have found that I'm including on the CD. So there's there's this one and a bunch of others. And I think you'll find that really helpful. In fact, it's interesting, the guy who does this one-page Linux manual has also got a, a pretty nifty Linux pocket protector for sale. So you'll have to go check out his site and check out the one-page Linux manual and that pocket protector. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, so those are the kinds of extras that will be included on this CD. So that is available now. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is the Odeo web-based uh, voicemail system is now available. If you go to the Linux Reality homepage, in the right-hand column, there's a, there's a link there that's, or there's a, there's a little blurb there that talks about leaving voicemail listener hotline. And it's got both the, uh, the listener hotline, uh, hotline voicemail number, the phone number, and a link to the Odeo web-based uh, voicemail system. So for those of you who don't want to call long distance, if you've got a microphone hooked up to your computer, you don't need to worry about using any particular software. You can just go to this audio service and click record and send me a little, send me a little, uh, uh, voicemail that way. It's free. It's really cool. And uh, in fact, you can use it for your listener tips as well. Okay. Let's see. Last week, uh, we talked about, oh, actually, we wrapped up a two part series on Samba networking. You know, that's what allows you to network your Windows and Linux machines together to share files. 
this week, I'm, I'm going to kind of continue with the Windows theme just a little bit. And what we're going to talk about is how to run Windows applications uh, in Linux. Some, some Linux applications, that is. And of course, they don't all run. But I had mentioned last week I was going to talk about Wine. Well, we're going to talk about Wine and a few other tools as well. So that's what we're going to get to. But first, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, son. Hey, Jess, this is Truebox. I am a huge fan of your show. Um, I actually just last week installed Ubuntu Dapper onto my uh, gateway laptop. Right now, about the only thing that's really keeping me from diving into Linux is um, wireless internet connectivity. Um, I've fiddled around with NDIS wrapper and a few other options such as Linux, and, and I've had no particular luck. And I think there might be other users who are possibly in my same situation. So I don't know if you have any intention of devoting one of your future shows to uh, wireless on Linux, but I really think at least touching on it would be a good idea, you know, just to help people along. Anyway, please keep up the great work. Like I say, I love the show, and I think it's been very, very helpful to a lot of people. Um, keep it up, and thanks a lot. Have a good one. Well, thanks so much for that. That's a really, really nice email. I sure do appreciate that. And you're right. The wireless networking is definitely something we're going to talk to. You're not the first one to ask about it. And it is an issue, unfortunately. It can be kind of a pain. I actually have a Dell laptop, a 700M, and when I've purchase it it came with a you know one of those internal mini pci wireless cards i don't remember the brand but it was one that required me to use ndis wrapper and the windows drivers and that worked you know fine i mean it, it, i was able to you know connect and, and all that and but i i really really wanted to use an open source driver i didn't want to have to use the ndis wrapper so i specifically went out and purchased an intel one of those ipw 2200 802.11 bg cards and that has an open source driver to it. In fact, it's now included as part of the Linux kernel. You still have to download the firmware separately, but at least the driver itself has been open source. So there are some open source wireless drivers. There's, they're hard to find and they're not many and, and, uh, but you know, that is an option. But, but the, for everybody else, the NDIS wrapper works really well. And there's also a company called Linuxant that provides a, a pay version of that that's got some support and it's got, uh, you know, a database of, of drivers. It, and Linux Ant, in fact, also provides modem drivers, uh, for Linux for certain Windows modems. So that's, that's a possibility as well. But anyway, to answer your question, that is something we're going to talk to and talk about in more detail because you're right. I think it's something that, that can be a real problem. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Hi, Jeff. This is Brother Red. I just listened to uh, episode 25 and really liked it. I like all your podcasts. I've listened to your show for a long time now and have sent one, in, one or two comments in. As I said to John from the Jack Attack, I love the greater Linux community. Just thinking and telling of how I heard about your, read about your podcast from Tux Magazine and then heard from you about all those other podcasts is so cool. I remember in my earlier comments I was agitated, and that had to do with so many of my questions. Thank you for answering so many of them. Some help in dialing up an ISP in Linux is still needed, however. It is strange that in, that in this, in, this is one of the most common issues in my area, but no one talks about it. Yes, it is well beyond the scope of a podcast and many other things as well, but think about it this way. 
the number one draw for, of Linux for most people is the price. Actually, I'm test, I am testimony that for the that for that all that freeness, they get so much more. That being said, I can say that most people around here use dial for the price. So why then would they run an OS that basically need high need high speed internet to be functional in terms of installing all the latest software and as well as updates? Using Linux offline is like driving without a steering wheel. Well, thank you, Jess. Uh, thank you so much, and um, have a great day. Bye. Well, thank you for that uh, voicemail, uh, Brother Red, and, and you touched on a lot of things there, and you're right. Uh, the dial-up is an issue. I think it's an issue both for the users uh, who want to be able to dial out and uh, for the Linux distributions in the sense that it's very hard to support modems uh, because most people have Win modems, and Win modems, unfortunately, require certain Windows software uh, to be able to power the modem, and those don't work under Linux. And uh, so... There's a dual problem of, of hardware support issues and, you know, not enough focus. And you're right. There are a lot of people that still use dial-up. And, in fact, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've said this before. To me, Linux is is really poised to penetrate and be, be really helpful to uh, parts of the world that are not as industrialized. And th th a lot of people in those areas of the world are not going to have broadband and high-speed internet access, and they're going to have dial-up. And so I think it's it's definitely incumbent on the Linux developers to try to provide better modem support where they can, but it's also up to us users to demand companies uh, provide, you know, the, the access, the specs to the drivers or to, or to you know, sell Linux-certified modems. Uh, I, on my Dell that I was talking about a few minutes ago, it has an internal modem in it. In fact, somebody was emailing me about this last week. I don't think I've ever gotten to work. I don't think I've tried, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone that can. I know some people get uh, PCI modems, and that seems to work okay, but, you know, that's that's still kind of a hassle. So, anyway, good points, and I, th I think it is something we'll try to get to at some point down the road. Not quite sure when, but I, I do appreciate that feedback. Hey, Chess, it's Mike. I've been out of touch over on the west coast of Florida on vacation, but I'm back now, so I'm still loving your podcast. For those listeners who have been checking up on the specs for my new computer on the forums, I finalized my order and ordered it last night, so I'll post the pics of it, and when it gets here, I'll update on how it goes. One more thing, Chess. My computer teacher and I have been developing a Java app that records audio and plays it back. I was thinking of sending it to you for the listeners who don't have audio recording programs. It's got a pretty good GUI as well. As soon as it's stable, I'll let you know. As for now... It plays MP3s, but I'm having trouble recording to MP3 format. I'll keep you updated on it. Great show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Mike. That's really great of you to follow up, and I sure do appreciate that. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch uh, the discussion in the forums about your hardware, and I do look forward to hearing more about that. And that app you mentioned, that sounds really cool. Um, I would love to test it out, and I'm sure there's a lot of other folks that would uh, love to test it out as well. In fact, Mike had also asked me to uh, pass along his voicemail because I think he was he was thinking that a lot of people uh, might be interested in that. And so I'm going to pull that up here. In fact, I'm doing this, as again, see, I'm doing this on the fly. And uh, let me get his email here. Here it is. It's themike561 at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-M-I-K-E 561 at gmail.com. 
So please feel free to email Mike if you've got any questions about that. And, uh, you know, Mike, definitely let us know how that how that's going. And I'd love to test it out. Sounds very cool. So thanks very much, Mike. All right, let's check out some listener tips. To start, press any key. Where's the any key? I see Esk, Kataro, and Pig Up. There doesn't seem to be any any key. Hello, Linux Reality. This is Zero Signal with a listener tip. The other day, I had a terminal window open and was deep in the file system. I had a file in my home directory that I wanted to move to the directory that I was in. Now, the usage for the move command is mv space path where the file is space path where you want the file to go. In this case, for me, that meant typing mv space slash home slash zero signal slash file space slash usr slash share slash vim slash vim 70 slash syntax but there are two little shortcuts that help me out i use the tilde instead of typing the whole path to the home directory which chess talked about in episode 14 and i use the environmental variable dollar sign capital p capital w capital d which can be typed instead of typing the whole path to the present working directory Using both of those little shortcuts, that hideous move command is reduced to simply mv space tilde slash file space dollar sign pwd. All right. Well, thanks very much. Uh, I got another uh, listener tip here. I usually don't do them, uh, you know, ones sent to me by email just because I really like having them in the listener's uh, voices. I just think that's so much cooler. You hear me um, babble on long enough. But I thought this was a good one, so I thought I would read it, even though it's in an email. It's from Justin. Justin says, Hey, Chess, I've been listening since episode one, and I emailed you a while back about the voicemail stuff. Anyway, I have a tip, and I'm glad I finally figured it out. I have a five-button mouse with the two buttons on the side to go forward and back in browsers. When I made the switch to Linux a while back, I lost that functionality. It was quite an adjustment to make, but I lived with it. Today, I finally said, Forget it. I have to get this working. Uh, That's all caps in the email. Uh, I've been messing around with it for the last 30 minutes and have it working. This is all under SUSE 10.1 GNOME Desktop with XGL. Here's what I did. I had to edit the input device section for the mouse in the slash Etsy slash x11 slash xorg.conf file. Here is my original. And he lists his original, that portion of the xorg.conf file that's entitled section input device. And what he did was he added a line to the end of that section before the line that says end section. And so this is under the section input device. He added the following option space quote button mapping close quote space quote one, two, three, seven, six close quote. And with spaces in between those numbers. Uh, so then he goes on to say, I put a seven before six because my buttons for forward and back were reversed. I'm so glad this is working now. I had to share. I know there are people out there having the same problem. Hope this helps them. I'm going to go have a beer. <laughs> Love the show, Chess. Justin in Nashville. Well, thank you very much, Justin. That's very helpful. And, you know, there's another line in that same input device section that sometimes people need to add to get the, to get the mouse wheel working. And if your distribution doesn't do that out of the box, you can also add option space, quote, uh, Z-axis mapping, close quote, space, quote, four space five, close quote. And Z-axis mapping has a capital Z, a capital A, and a capital M. So option 
quote, z-axis mapping, close quote, and then open quote, four space five, close quote. That gets the uh, mouse wheel working. So hopefully that uh, helps everybody, and I sure do appreciate it. All right, let's see. I don't think I've got any more tips for this week. So uh, let's get to the main segment, and we're going to talk about Windows applications on Linux. All right. Well, this section, wine is wine is pretty pretty popular, pretty well known, and I've talked about it a few times before. But wine is basically an open source implementation of of the Windows application protocol, um, more or less. It, it basically is a native. It's a piece of native software for Linux. It's not an emulator. An emulator sort of implies that it's um, that it's uh, doing some sort of uh, that is that is pretending to be another operating system or it's pretending to be something else. This, as far as I understand it, it's not doing that. It's it really is. I mean, it's Linux code that's just taking um, the what the software is trying to do and converting it into Linux, you know, and, and speak, if you will. And so it's basically letting Windows applications run natively, uh, and it doesn't support you know every distro every uh, piece of software under the sun but it does support a lot. So a couple resources I wanted to point out. The first one is, of course, the project's homepage, and that is winehq.com, winehq.com. And they have an applications database that you can search uh, to see if, uh, see if your application runs, the one you're looking to, your one you're looking to run. Uh, and it kind of explains what it is. And it, it, this is what they say. Think of Wine as a compatibility layer for running Windows programs. Wine does not require Microsoft Windows, as it is a completely free alternative implementation of the Windows API consisting of 100% non-Microsoft code. However, Wine can optionally use native Windows DLLs if they are available. So I think what this means is they're basically saying, again, this is a native piece of software that implements you know, the Windows API, and the API is what lets applications run. Uh, so it's really cool. And now wine is somewhat controversial. Some people feel that, you know, it's not a good idea to have something like this. You know, we don't want Linux users running windows software and all that kind of stuff. And I totally understand and I respect that argument a lot. My view though, is that I'd rather get people to Linux. And if it takes, um, something like wine or Sodega or crossover office, some of the other things we'll talk about in a minute to make their life easier. And, and to make them or to help them get used to the idea of running Linux and help them get used to the idea of using free software, then they may ultimately switch. Someone may say, well, hey, you know, this open office is pretty good. So I'm going to start using that instead of Microsoft Office or something along those lines. I feel like that's what happened to me with that uh, mini PCI card for my laptop. You know, five years ago when I first started using Linux, I probably wouldn't have cared. I would have just been happy to get my wireless card working at all. But after using it, I mean, I understand the principles of the free software and, uh, you know, the arguments. And I mean, I feel like I get it. So I wanted to support that open driver. So I made a, a conscious choice to do so. And I've done the same thing with software. I don't use, well, I shouldn't say any, but I mean, I guess my NVIDIA drivers are proprietary. But as far as I can think, that's the only piece of of proprietary software, like Windows type software that I use at home, at least. Obviously, at the office, it's a different story. But um, so that's you know that's my view. 
Anyway, um, Wine is a way to allow you to run certain Windows applications in Linux. And the way you install it, I mean, obviously you're going to want to go to your distribution's package manager and search your package manager to see if you can find a Wine binary. And I'm sure you've got it. I think they've got, I mean, almost every distribution includes Wine. So once you install Wine through your distribution's package manager, you'll want to configure it. And what you want to do in a terminal is type the command wine cfg, all one word. So W-I-N-E-C-F-G. The way I look at it is that sort of stands for wine config. And it opens a little GUI tool that you configure certain options uh, about wine. Sometimes you'll need to play with audio driver settings, for example, maybe to turn off ALSA or to turn on, you know, ALSA or something. And, um, you know, there's other settings in there, for example, when you first install the basically what the wine package does is it creates within a there's a hidden directory at least the way mine's set up there was a hidden directory in my home folder called dot wine and that's where it installs sort of a pretend windows drive it, you'll see there's a folder in there called drive c or something and that's supposed to be like the hard drive you know like the c drive in a windows on a windows computer and, it, and then, then it creates subfolders for program files and everything, just like you would see in a normal Windows, you know, uh, file tree. And it creates this within a hidden directory called .wine. Uh, now, the one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't create links to any removable drives, like CD-ROMs or USB drives. So if you need, if, you're, if you have a program that needs to access a CD-ROM, then you'll need to go into this Wine config program and set up your removable drives. So that's one thing you might need to do. Another thing you might need to do in this Wine config application is certain applications that you install using Wine might require specific Windows versions. Maybe you've got a piece of software that will only run on Windows 2000, or maybe another one will only run on Windows XP. Well, the neat thing in this Wine config is there's a panel where you can actually set it so, you know, uh, program A pretends to run under Windows 2000 and program B pretends to run under Windows XP or whatever it is. And that's something you can change in this Wine config. So that's that's kind of nifty. Uh, so there's other options in there as well. But basically the way you run Wine or the way you use it is you simply use the command Wine before the program. So for example, let's say you download a, a program off the internet, a Windows application, and it's, you know, let's say it's a setup, you know, setup.exe. I mean, we've all used Windows, and we've all seen those setup.exe files. So you download a setup.exe file for a particular application, and you put it in a directory somewhere, wherever you want, and you, you know, using a terminal, you know, do cd, and then the name of that directory, wherever you saved the setup.exe, and you simply type wine space setup.exe. Um, and that's it. And Wine will run the setup.exe. You know, it may work, it may not work. Uh, but it, for the ones it works, it works great. And it will install your application in that hidden Wine directory under the C drive and under program files, just like you would expect to find it on a Windows computer. And then to run it, you can simply navigate to that directory. And let's say the, let's say once you've set it up, let's say the program is called um, you know, myprogram.exe. Let's say that's the, you know, that's the main program. So you would go into that directory and simply type wine space myprogram.exe and it will run. And it's really cool. 
so that's basically the way wine works. Uh, now, uh, similar to wine is a, is a, is a program called Sedega. And it actually used to be called WineX. And that's the way I remember it. I subscribe. It's a, this is a pay service. You have to pay $5 a month, I think it is, to subscribe to, to Sedega. But it's offered by a company called Transgaming. And basically it's wine for games. Uh, regular wine does not have 3D graphic support. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't run any games. Regular wine does run some games because not every game requires high-end 3D graphics. There's some basic games out there that regular wine will run just fine. But for your, you know, you know, Half-Life or, uh, I don't know, I guess, man, I don't know if World of Warcraft works. I mean, I'm pretty, pretty out of touch when it comes to games. But, uh, um, you know, if you have a Windows 3D game and you need it to run, you might want to look at Sedega. And you pay five bucks a month to subscribe and you get access to their site and, and I, their how-tos. I think you might be able to browse their applications database without joining. I don't know, but basically it, it's a similar setup process. It's a similar, you know, process to running the games. You would, I guess, type Sedega or at least you used to have to type WineX and then the game name. Um, but you know, it's the same principle. It's basically just wine that's been tweaked for 3D support. Uh, to let you run games. Now, again, some people are not happy with the Wine X or the Sedega. You know, some people are even more unhappy with the Sedega because, you know, from what I hear, they don't contribute their code back. Um, the next product I'm going to talk about in a minute tends to contribute their code back. So I don't know if that's, you know, that's just what I've heard. But in any event, that's, you know, it is an option that's out there. And again, for me, at least, I think it's a, it's, I think it's an important option because there's a lot of people out there that play games and they want their games to work. And I can understand that. And I'd rather have those people playing their games on Linux using Sotega than playing them on Windows uh, and never touching Linux at all. So, but that's just me. So let's see, the next product I was going to mention is Crossover Office. And I'm sure you've heard of this as well. Um, they used to, this company, um, uh, Code Weavers used to offer two, two products, a plugin and, and their office program. And it used to be two different, two different products and now they've combined them into one. And basically crossover office, I think it's $40 for a regular home user. It lets you run various web browser plugins and, and little applications like real player and whatever and, you know, Shockwave and that kind of thing. And it will also let you run some applications. And it's really geared towards Office-type applications, specifically Microsoft Office. And, in fact, Microsoft Office runs very well under Crossover Office. But other applications do. You can go to their website and search their database. They they rate them, uh, you know, gold is the highest, meaning it runs really well, then silver, and then bronze. And they have a surprising amount of programs. They say, I think they support over 50 applications including things like Photoshop and Quicken and QuickBooks and, you know, as I said, you know, Office and Visio and all kinds of applications. Again, mostly productivity or Office type applications. I think that's their primary market is the enterprise, if you will, to be able to run those Office applications. But, hey, you know, if you need access um, to Windows applications, you know, Microsoft Outlook to be able to get true Exchange Server connectivity, this might be an option, at least, you know, again, it, it enables you to uh, explore this as an option if you need that for work. 
So I do recommend Crossover Office. I have tried their plugin. I used to own license to the plugin many years ago, and it worked very well. And I've, I've tried the demo for their new product, Crossover Office, and that also works really well. So uh, they tend to be, you know, very, you know, very good about patching and fixing the program and working on added support. So I would definitely check them out. Now, lastly, before I wrap up here, I'm going to just mention this very briefly because um, this might be a separate topic. But the other option under uh, Linux for running at Windows applications is, of course, virtual machines. And it's it's interesting because Steve Gibson and Leo Laporte are talking about this in Security Now, but. A virtual machine is basically a piece of software that lets you run a computer within a computer. You know, you have your real hard hardware computer sitting on the floor next to you, and with a virtual machine, you can have a you can have a software computer running in a separate window inside your Linux machine, or you know, you can run virtual machines on Windows. So there are some people that have Windows at work and they have a virtual machine running Linux or people use it on the Mac and run Windows. You know, um, one of the ones you've heard about a lot lately is Parallels, and they've gotten a lot of press because of their connection with the Macs. You know, with these new Intel Macs, people use Parallels to run Windows, um, Windows XP on the Mac, you know, within the Mac OS 10. So you can have Mac OS 10 running and have a separate window where you have Windows XP running. But Parallels certainly isn't, I mean, they, they're pretty new. They're a new kid on the block. Um, VMware is a company that's been around a long time. They have a combination of paid products and free products. They have a free VMware player that lets you run virtual machines that other people have created. Or you can also download the VMware server, which is for free, and that does let you create your own virtual machines. VMware Workstation is sort of their traditional pay product. I've, I've demoed it out before, and it works very well. VMware is very stable. It can be a little tricky to install on some distributions. I know, I think, I think Link was talking about installing it on Arch Linux. It also can be kind of tricky to install in Slackware. But basically, that's just because those two particular distributions use a slightly different boot script style than most, most distributions. But, for most mainstream distributions, Ubuntu and SUSE and Fedora and all those, I mean, you can install VMware and it works just fine. Um, so VMware is a possibility. Parallels is a possibility. And then the last one I'll mention is Win4Lin. And this is another piece of software I've tried in the past. What Win4Lin does is it patches the kernel to, again, lets you basically create a, a, a virtual machine. It's limited to running Windows in Linux, as a, you know, as opposed to... VMware, which is very broad, I mean, you can run BSD, you can run Windows, you can run Linux. I guess they don't have VMware for Mac OS X, but, uh, or Parallels, again, Mac OS X, Windows, or Linux. Win4Lin is limited to running Windows on Linux, and it does require patching the kernel, I mean, which it can do itself, or they offer, I think, kernels on their website that you, that you match up with your distribution and download and install on your own. But it's really, at least the old product, I remember using their old product, which ran Windows 98, and it was fast. I mean, it, it installed fast. I mean, I think you could install Windows 98 in like nine minutes or something crazy. <laughs> it was just really crazy. But it worked very well, their old product, that is, that ran Windows 98. Their newer product, which is Windows 2000 and XP, I've heard has a little bit of problems and is somewhat unstable, and I haven't tried it. So, you know, uh, that's just what I've heard. 
but I would check them out. It's another option and they've been around for many years and they've been pretty good at providing support and, uh, and being just as another, you know, being another option out there. As I said, the, the version that supports Windows 98, I have used and it works very well. So if that's still available or if that's still floating around, I would, I would recommend that. So that's basically a summary of, of different ways of running Windows applications in Linux. Uh, you know, you can try them out. Wine is free. Um, VMware has some free versions of their software. I mean, some free software, some non-free. And here I'm using free in the sense of no cost. I think certainly VMware is, is got, you know, license restrictions on it, but there's no cost for running VMware player or VMware server. Um, I believe all the others have some kind of cost attached to them, whether it's Code Weavers, Crossover Office, or Sedega, or Parallels, or win for lin But those are different options that are available to you. And uh, so, you know, hopefully with that, uh, that will give you some help if you have a need to run Windows applications in Linux. And so with that, I think it's time to wrap it up. everybody well thanks again for tuning in and thanks for staying subscribed and uh, sending me all the great voicemail and email i sure do appreciate it and for those of you participating in the forums i sure do appreciate that as well uh, please let me know if you'd like to order one of those archive cds just send me an email to linuxreality at gmail.com you can also call the listener hotline if you want to leave a voicemail not about the cd though uh, uh, if you want a cd you definitely need to uh, email me but if you want to leave me voicemail or feedback or listener tips, you can call 206-338-6359, or you can use the new free uh, audio web-based uh, voicemail system. Both of those are available on the Linux Reality uh, homepage. All right, uh, next week, I think, uh, well, I've got a couple ideas, so I'm going to hold off on saying what they what they will be or what our next week's topics, topic will be, so we'll just have to kind of stay tuned for that. Thanks again, everybody. Hope you all have a good week, and I'll catch you all next time. Until then, this has been Linux Reality, Episode 27. Bye-bye. <laughs>